0: We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening.
1: Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only
2: interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us
1: want to break out? Enjoy your song. We move fast. Can you take it?
2: No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening.
0: Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big.
2: I am big.
1: It's the pictures that got small.
2: Uh,
1: we need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Mm-hmm. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard
0: of Br-
2: we're making another movie this is the
1: one i'll be remembering welcome to the sword cinema podcast this week we're going to be taking a look at 1978's the silent partner written by curtis hansen and directed by daryl duke here's a clip (laughs) you and what do you want from me i am not a cop if that's what you're afraid of a crime of sheer genius that builds to a climax of sheer terror he doesn't suspect not at all he will tell me soon when the telephone rings the terror begins hello hello you're doing it to her like you did it to me what Think of where to run. Think of how to hide. Think of how to escape the silent partner. I don't know how you managed to pull it off. Well, I guess you're going to have to tell me one of these days. But we uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I thought I knew you. But you've changed. I'm going to kill you, so help me. I'm going to kill you. Starring Elliot Gould. Christopher Plummer and Susanna York.
0: One night when you come home, you'll find me on the inside
1: and that'll be the night you'll wish you'd never been born. It was the only way to make him the silent partner. All right, that was a clip from 1978's The Silent Partner, again, written by Curtis Hanson and directed by Daryl Duke. This uh, movie is based on a novel by Danish writer Anders Bodelsen. Uh I'm not sure how much we'll get into that, or it's 1969 film version called Think of a Number. I don't think any of us have seen that, but I am Patrick Murphy, and joining me to talk about The Silent Partner is Ricky D.
0: Well, I'm really disappointed, because I thought this was an original screenplay.
2: Nope.
1: <laughs> it is not. Uh, also joining us to talk about this movie, in fact, who selected this movie, is Simon Howell.
2: Hi. Hello.
1: All right, guys, The Silent Partner. This is uh, basically a little popular thriller, bank heist type movie. A guy who's trying to scam his own bank that he works at, but he's also matching wits with a bank robber who uh, wants his money. The bank teller takes the money, the bank robber wants the money. That's kind of what the premise of this movie is, and the bank teller is sort of getting off on outwitting the bank robber. Um, That's, I think... (laughs) There's not really a whole lot else to this. It's a very, very simple story. But there are the, 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 the typical sort of twists and turns that the story takes, uh, while also throwing in a lot of gags, which is kind of weird. And, um, yeah. Simon, maybe you're best off explaining this movie.
2: Uh, I mean, the original tagline actually nails it. A chilling story interwoven with comedy, sex, terror. Um, which is not usually three words you see in combination on a, on a film poster from any era, um, but I'm glad they all made it because they're all major parts of this movie. Uh, full disclosure, I love this movie. I, I, it's one of the few films shot and set in, I, I mean, I was going to say Toronto, but I mean really all of Canada um, that actually feels like it has some teeth and some guts. And some surprises, like real, genuine surprises. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, of course, I mean, obviously, you know, Cronenberg's made a lot of, you know, um, pretty, pretty bracing movies. But generally speaking, they're not actually set in Canada. And part of the part of the real novelty of this movie is that it's shot and set in Toronto. Major parts of it are set in the Eaton Center, which is referred to as the Eaton Center. Um, which doesn't mean anything to you if you don't live here or around here but like it's really something um i think the script is fantastic it's i mean obviously we've established that it's based on a previous norwegian film slash novel a uh, danish film rather uh, i i wanted to track down and watch the danish film but i couldn't um i'm assuming Curtis hansen being the crackerjack screenwriter he is uh put his own spin on it uh, we can talk about sort of the twists and turns the film takes, which, um, uh, Patrick, you used the word the expected twists and turns. I think there's a, a, a decent number of unexpected turns this movie takes, actually.
1: There's at least uh, one. <laughs> at
2: least one, which <laughs> we can get sure. into.
1: Yeah, it definitely goes to a couple of places I wasn't expecting. Yeah. But there, it's a cat and mouse game. And when I say expected, I certainly don't mean boring. Um, yeah. I think it's it's just got kind of the the convention of the genre in that it does take twists and turns that uh, are similar to other cat and mouse games
2: the last thing i'll say by by means of introduction is this is also one of my favorite movies to show to other people for the first time uh both because it's very funny like frequently very very funny and also because um the movie does take some tonal turns that you just really don't see coming and uh, it's really fun to watch people react to that. And I also love its bipartite structure, where sort of one half takes place in you know one one set of time, and then we have a lapse, um, and then it, and then a seemingly new dynamic enters. I don't know. There's just a lot about the way the film is structured and written that I think is super smart. The direction is solid. Uh, the acting is um, ranges from adequate to spectacular, and we can sort of get into who those might be. I don't know. I just I, I find this movie to be just fun as
1: hell. Rick, did you have fun? I had fun. I, I think this is a fun movie. Fun is the best way, I think, to describe this movie because of all the different things that you see in it. What did you, what did you think though, Rick?
0: I think this movie's great. I think it has an incredible screenplay and I love the story. I think it's a great genre film. I actually watched the Siskel and Ebert review on YouTube. Very short, very brief. They love the film. I wish I wish I can listen to those two dudes talk about this film for two hours. you talk about Canadian Movies like this movie is smack dab in your face, Canadian from the opening scene. I mean, they work in the Bank of Toronto.
2: A first Bank of Canada. Yeah. A fictional bank, but the but a real mall, which they refer to by its name.
0: Yeah. So it is set in the Eton Center just right after the Eton Center was built, which at the time was considered this genius architecture. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why, but at the time that mall was considered ingenious the way they built it um okay. for real like you see the cn tower it's, it's clearly set in canada they go to a famous bar which no longer exists
1: well there's and... a sign that says toronto at some point like they're they're definitely not shying away from the fact that it's set in toronto
0: yeah for sure clearly clearly and of course um mostly canadian actors i mean john candy makes a pretty great cameo appearance christopher Plummer, michael kirby celine lomez You name it. I mean, apart from Elliot Gould and Susanna York, most of the cast is Canadian. But I think that this is an incredible film. When it comes to the taglines, the tagline that sticks out to me, Simon, is He steals, he tortures, he murders, only he is a her and the lady has been robbed. Like, I love that what? tagline. It makes no sense for anyone who watched a trailer. Like, what is this tagline it about? It makes
1: sense if you've seen the movie. I-, I know. I'm trying to figure out how that relates to the
0: movie. <laughs> no idea, but I love it. But so, okay. What I love about this movie, and we're, I'm going to have to get into specifics when it comes to the plot mechanics. So I guess this might be a spoiler. So if you haven't seen the movie, be warned. But Elliot Gould is supposed to play the quote-unquote good guy but he's not really the good guy. Like, Miles is no different than the character that Christopher Plummer plays. And throughout the film, Miles becomes very similar to Plummer's character, Harry. And so Plummer is technically the bad guy, but the movie does this interesting thing, or like the screenplay, where at exactly, I believe, and Simon, correct me if I'm wrong, the halfway mark of the film, there's a scene in which Christopher Plummer's Harry torments... Elliot Gould's character by calling him from a payphone outside of his apartment and pretty much like not only stalking the guy, but threatening him, implying that he's going to break in, maybe kill him, maybe beat him up because he's in search of the money that he stole. Right. And then at one point he invites Christopher Plummer's character up to the apartment and as he's walking up the stairs. He leaves by the back entrance and then he goes downstairs to the payphone. And when Christopher Plummer's character is in his apartment, he calls him and there's this switcheroo where he now becomes him, sort of. Like he's he's in his shoes in the payphone calling Christopher Plummer and he threatens his character. So the good guy now becomes sort of like not the bad guy, but he takes over. Because when the movie yeah. started, this is what I mean by unexpected. Like I thought. Here's this guy Elliot. He's at best a middle manager at the bank. He's a pushover. He's single. He goes home with his fish. He has this. He has this, he has this thing with fish. Like it's weird. I love the fish. The fish. Yeah. You know, he's just he just seems like kind of like a dorky, lonely, weird dude who can't even seem to have a proper conversation with a lady or go on a proper date with a lady. He's just this weird dude. And so you feel that the entire film is going to turn into like a thriller where he's on the run and Christopher Plummer's character is chasing him. And we don't get that. It's completely reversed. And he outsmarts everyone in the film. I mean, to the point where there's...
1: (laughs) <laughs> For a while, anyway. Well, yeah, sort of. He's but, a little bit in over his head I- I- in a moment there.
0: But his character mirrors Christopher Plummer's character, and also Susanna York's character, Julie, mirrors Celine Lomas's Elaine. There, there is clearly a, a, a comparison, a connection between those four characters. Mm-hmm. It's like the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. And I just, I just love the way the screenplay is constructed because at that halfway point of the film. That's when things just completely switch, which is why I thought, again, it goes to unexpected places.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought I saw the, the cat and mouse stuff of him getting cocky. I didn't really see him as switching places with Christopher Plummer, in a sense. I saw him as playing the game, which, ten, you know, that has to happen in a cat and mouse game. The, each one has to believe that they're smarter than the other one at some point in time. I mean, Gould is never a psychopath like Plummer is. And by the end of the movie, Gould is, he knows he's in over his head and he's got to find a way out. And something has happened that's completely changed things forever, like made it all too real for him, Uh, which it never really had been before. Yes, he felt the threats, but he was sort of getting off on it, (laughs) Uh, on the the danger and the excitement and the risk of it all. But then something happens, you know, towards the end of the movie that makes it very, very, very real for him. And uh, now this isn't a game anymore. Now it's more about life and death and survival.
0: I kind of felt that the scene in which he pretty much gets frustrated and angry and knocks down the chessboard and all the pieces except for the one pawn and he stares at the pawn. That says so much about his character because up until that point, like I said, I thought this was going to be a typical thriller where he's on the run and there's a bad guy tormenting him. And that's when I sort of clued into, no, this guy has sort of like a dark side. And yeah, watch out for him.
1: Well, he robs a bank, so he's not a—he's not a you know completely moral good guy, in that yeah. sense. He's—he's he's not a villain, I wouldn't say, but he is not the greatest guy, and he definitely doesn't mind taking advantage of people, especially the women around him, in order to go. <laughs>
0: See, but I I disagree. I think he I think he can play the bad guy. And I think it's uh, there are moments in a film where he does play sort of like a bad guy, like a guy who could be the villain in a Bond film. I mean, there's an entire conversation he has with Elaine. And he says, I find myself doing things I never dreamed I was capable of doing and he's smoking well, a cigar. You know what I mean? It's like like well, he Wall has these you <laughs> with
1: doing stuff like that. I mean, I get I get what you're saying. I just never see him as villainous because he others uh, always the contrast with the plumber character who is a complete psychopath. Like what? that's a truly dangerous man. He when has it's...
0: sex with this lady. He uses her. He knows that she's working with Christopher Plummer's character. She gets yeah. her head chopped off via a fish tank. Okay,
2: well, we've got there.
0: And then he he just removes the body and her head and buries it in this new construction zone. Like, no good person does a, a deed
2: like well, that.
1: now, wait a second, though. <laughs> I, I believe that he actually fell in love with her. I, I Maybe I'm wrong with that. Yep, I think that he did actually oh, really yeah, like... Oh,
2: I didn't get that vibe. I mean, I get that he liked her or whatever, but...
1: Yeah, um, or not maybe fell, like, head over heels in love, but I got the sense that he, he did not want this to happen. He did not want her to die. He was attached to her, and I believe that he... That he really meant to run away. At least that was the reading that I got from him. Well, um, so so I didn't I did not see him as uh I saw him as a I, I saw him as a guy over his in over his head, which is a very standard convention for this type of movie, which is you know, a guy who does something wrong, tries to get away with it, realizes that there's bigger criminals and more dangerous criminals out there who now are after him, thinks he has the 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 moxie to outsmart them, finds out that shit gets real. And then later on has to finally actually outsmart them by getting just as cruel as them. That to me is why like this follows those standard beats of a cat and mouse game. And but at no point in time did I ever think that he was a outside of yes he did he stole from his bank. But I never thought he was an evil. Well, that's person. just
2: being cool.
1: I, I, I thought that he was a guy that was stuck in a rut and trying to get like trying to get some excitement in his life to change his life. I never thought of him as being a bad guy. In that sense, not in the movie sense anyway.
0: I disagree. So, first of all, he does rob the bank. Yeah. And it's not done. Ocean spont- 11. Hold on, let me
1: talk. Danny, Danny Ocean Let
0: me Let me make my case. It's not done <laughs> spontaneously. Like, he actually thinks about it. It's premeditated. Like, he thinks about it yeah. for several days. He uses both women in the film. He's not a very good person. He uses every single one of his co workers. He. Sets a guy up, puts him in prison by robbing a car, stealing a car, sorry. He has an affair with Celine Lomas, knowing, Celine Lomas, the actress, her character's Elaine, knowing that she's working for Christopher Plummer's character, using her. And knowing that he's putting her in danger, he's in over his head. She loses her head. He still continues to use
1: people. Can I interject some, one thing really quick? Like she, he's using her, but she's using him too. So therefore, he's he's not the evil person in this relationship because she's doing the same thing to him. He's just doing it back to her. It's playful. That's the way I see it.
0: Okay, but but I'm just saying, like, I don't consider his character a good person. I mean, you can't steal, rob, kill, murder, bury
2: bodies
0: <laughs> like like like. There's no way, like. <laughs> There's no way he's, he can be considered a good person.
2: By the way, another thing that he does, which isn't really doesn't come up in the movie, but it does come up if you think about it. He lies to the cops, which personally I generally support, uh, but <laughs> he lies to the cops in such a way that it enables Chris Plummer's character to get out of jail earlier because yes. he didn't get. Uh, and, you know, he's like a murdering rapist, <laughs> like not ideal. The, the point is,
0: like, I think when he knocks down the chess pieces, that was a scene in which I sort of understood that this guy has a darker side. But when he discovers her body, we don't get a scene in terms of like how it was directed or how the, the performance we got out of him, the character, the actor, in which he even looked like he was upset. Like it was kind of like, it was kind of like, okay, now I I need to think of myself and clean up the body, pick up her head, roll her up into like a carpet or a garbage bag. I forget how he of her body, a A rug, rug. rug, and then let's get her out of the building. Like it wasn't this emotional, I'm crying, the lady I slept with that I kind of liked and maybe thought I would run away with because she's gorgeous, blah, 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 (laughs) is dead now and her head's like in a fish tank. No, it's kind of like, okay, I got to get rid of the body because I need
1: to get back to the bank and get the money. But the yeah. 70s didn't really have those emotional, like, oh my God, I gotta, they didn't.
2: This he was before display, emotion was invented.
1: He, he does display <laughs> that emotion. Like they go through, he has the proper, I thought he had completely the proper reactions for actually seeing, well, he's still got to protect himself, but he takes a moment to process all this information, like his dreams are, are falling apart. And then later on when he dumps her body in that in that uh, cement, whatever foundation or the, the vault that's being laid. <laughs> He takes extra time to like stare at the like stare at it, and to me, that's sort of the the man the man who has trouble expressing his emotions, which this guy clearly has been set up to be. He is not a su- guy who is super confident in expressing himself. Uh, he he has trouble, and he's just staring at the place where he just dumped the body of the woman that he was very attracted to and wanted to. Possibly run away with. Like he's still trying to process this information. That's the way I read it. So I did think he had the, the appropriate like uh s- sadness. I guess he was just doing it in that character's way.
0: So he's staring at the construction site where he buries the body because that's sort of the metaphor for what Toronto eventually became. And he's probably going to take the forty-seven thousand dollars and invest it in condos. <laughs> that's
1: what I'm saying. What is, uh, before Simon really needs to jump in here because we've totally taken this over what did you mean by like the that's a metaphor for Toronto because I don't know anything about I,
0: I'm sort of joking but not joking it's just that it's,
2: yeah it's not a joke at
0: all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke at all it's just that Toronto changed, and it changed roughly around this period of time which is why the Eaton Center so not only iconic but important to the film because that entire area of Toronto basically is now just glass towers that all look very similar and all the culture was sucked out and robbed because of these greedy Vampires? businessmen. yeah exactly
1: <laughs> ah interesting
0: the, the, there is some odd subtext throughout the entire film both about canadian politics toronto the city culture and also sexuality which we could talk about yes. soon but i need Simon yeah, to stuff. to jump in
2: well and uh, the entire reason I originally thought to program this movie, um, other than finding out you guys hadn't seen it, was um, the death of Christopher Plummer. Uh, because I, I, I've, I don't know, I've seen a couple dozen Chris Plummer performances because he's just one of those guys who never stopped acting. He's in, he's in so many goddamn movies, but I've never seen him give a performance like this where he's just ice cold sociopath with no redeeming qualities other than i guess you know like animal intelligence um and he's also yes it it cannot it it's it's not exactly hard uh to make the point that there is something about it there there's a lot about his performance that is coded as not necessarily gay but definitely not straight
0: um He's clearly repressed. He He's confused about his sexuality or in denial. He clearly is gay. The, the sequence which I found the most disturbing is when he attacks the, I'm assuming a prostitute in the bathhouse?
2: Yes. That, yep. I was a little confused, to be honest, about what that place was supposed to be. Um, but yes, that, that's a very, his, his foot on her is very difficult to watch. Yeah. It's, and
0: uh, I mean, I think, you know, you know, the story, Simon, but I think the director actually quit at one point in time because he didn't want to film specific scenes because he thought it was going a little too far.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, which is when apparently Curtis Hansen took over for like a couple, a, a couple of key, I guess at least one key sequence, which we've referenced a couple times and then handled all the post-production.
0: Because I, I, honest to God, felt that there was homoerotic tension between Miles. Is it Miles? My- I'm going to say a few such characters. Miles. Christopher Plummer's character and Ellie Gould's character. Like, I kind of yeah. felt that he had the hots for him. And Miles is sleeping with Elaine. And Elaine was sleeping with Reichel, the character that Christopher Plummer plays. But I felt that Christopher Plummer wasn't jealous of her. I don't, no, he wasn't jealous of him. He was jealous of her because she was sleeping with him. And I think he was attracted to Ellie Gould's character, Miles. And so that is what really set him off at the end, and which is why he attacked her and put her head through the fish tank and cut off her head. They mirror each other in, 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 like, in weird and unsettling ways. And I feel like at the end of the film it sets him off to the point where he actually transforms his own twisted female alter ego dresses up in drag to go rob the bank instead of like Santa Claus. So it's no different than Norman Bates at the end of psycho. Um, Simon, did you ever read the Bruce LeBruce essay on this movie? Oh, I didn't know
2: that existed. Uh, I, I need to find that immediately. The, the easiest way to explain their dynamic is that it it's, it's very murder husbands. It's very like Will, Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter where it's, <laughs> It's it's like you kind of imagine that if they got an entire series to uh to like flesh out this dynamic that by the end they would be murder husbands.
0: Like I haven't seen the original film and I don't know what the novel's like, but there clearly is something going on with this character. Like like I mean, you don't just have Christopher Plummer dress up and drag at the end of the film, show that sequence with him beating up the prostitute and showing his jealousy towards Elaine sleeping with Miles if he's not clearly confused about his sexuality
2: i had a i sort of picked up a mix of yes confusion about gender and sexual preference but also something about when he when Celine, when uh, Celine lomez elaine goes to see him in the too brief period when he's in jail and she explains and he's asking her all these questions about well like what are you going to get out of him you know did you sleep with him all this all this stuff That's when, like, there's another part of his character that kind of relates to, like, cucking and, like, cuck fetishing, fetishizing, um, which to me is also a huge part of, like, what's potentially going on in that character. Like, like, the animal? No, like. Uh, Like, cuckolding somebody. (laughs) Like, 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 like people who fetishize about, about having their partner fuck somebody else.
1: Yeah. Uh, did you think that though the the last time that she questions him the one of the the things that sets him off is when he asks you know is he does he say is he better than me or is he yeah he 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 basically is
0: asking if he's better than him in bed
2: yeah which to me again that was what another time when i really thought okay this guy has a cuck thing going on
1: yeah i don't i don't know what exactly to think about something like that that's obviously a macho thing too though that that sentiment of being better you have to be the best at it um, I don't really I'm not really sure what they're going for. I, I didn't get a good bead on who, who, what that character was. And that's kind of what I liked about him. Uh, I, I he, thought he
0: was trying to figure out if he's good in bed because he's attracted to him.
1: Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get that part from him. I did get the, the confusion. I think the beating up the prostitute scene is a I mean, that's a red flag right there. <laughs> there's something Yeah, there's wrong. a couple
2: of red flags in that scene uh, <laughs> astute viewers might notice them.
1: I mean, as far as a guy that's questioning his sexuality, like that's pretty typical, pretty typical stuff. But um, throughout the movie, I just saw him more as this, I saw him as an animalistic force of nature. That's kind of what I was going for. I didn't, I do get what you're saying though about the drag in the end. That makes complete sense that the transformation has now happened. Like it's an interesting take for sure. I'd have to watch it again and see if I could pick up other clues um, that I didn't notice the first time around. I do I do tend to get sucked into movies like this, though, as opposed to looking for those little details a lot of the time. The first time I watch something, I'm not necessarily seeing that.
2: Hey, Can I just say also, Chris Plummer in Drag...
1: Not a bad he, look. Not bad, right? He pulls it off.
2: It's not not only does
1: he look pretty good
0: in drag, not only does he does he pull it off, but he goes all in right to but the very end. Like, even when he's running yeah. away, he's in full character with the heels acting effeminate, acting like a woman, acting like he's in drag, running away from like from the security guard shooting at him, he never loses character.
2: Yeah, it's really so it's that that whole uh climactic sequence is just really something.
0: Has Patrick said, it's a seventies.
2: <laughs> yeah. the staging
1: the staging of anything goes back in the late seventies.
2: <laughs> clomping up the, the clomping up the down escalator in full drag while already having been shot. Ugh god that whole sequence is so you know weird. you know you know
0: patrick you know the difference between toronto back then and now is back then forty eight thousand dollars was enough for you to just quit your job and live your life like you're a superstar
1: Forty eight thousand it came back and here that would have been the same case by the way like people were buying Dude, houses that would have
0: like been like two dollars for you guys in the states what are you talking
2: about <laughs> by the way like i i, I I feel we haven't talked enough about the comedy in this film and there's a lot of it. Um, I mean, we mentioned that John Candy shows up, which honestly, John Candy's most important contribution to this movie is when he's seated drunk off his ass at like a work party, basically. And like someone comes by and replaces his glass with another full one. He's just like seated there, just pure drunk vibes. Wonderful joke. The everything involving the coworkers, from the dit I mean the Ditzy blonde coworker is another very seventies element, but she's very funny. Now let's not be mean. She's not Ditzy. Uh and- she's, <laughs> she's, she's, ditzy, she's
1: she's kind of Ditzy, but she's she's also got her own survivor mentality. Like she clearly has, again, cheated on uh cheated on John Candy and is ha- having another guy's baby, but marrying John Candy making him. Yeah, there's a
2: whole kid. I love how there's an entire <laughs> different movie
1: for that yeah
2: there's a whole different movie there's like a rom-com happening in the background at the bank and you get you kind of check in on it in like little tiny details throughout the movie i love that and also shout out to um hold on i have to look this up really quickly um is it my is it who is it who who plays is it michael kirby playing the boss uh he is perfect he is such a piece of shit um there's a there's a scene near the end where he's lecturing miles about how banking is the most important thing in the world <laughs> yes
1: that was great dialogue and actually. it gets me every Money, time because we, i laughed out loud at that that was hilarious banking you know pe- some
2: people thing. might think that's over the top but i've really had a lot of bosses like that <laughs>
1: That's unfortunate for you. <laughs>
0: God. Also, I got to give a big shout out to Montreal's very own Oscar Peterson, who composed the score.
2: I have, sorry, I have to burst your bubble on this a little bit. Yes, Oscar Peterson did compose the score, which you can find. However, the score you hear in the movie is not his score
0: a shit man so first of all this is not an original screenplay now it's not even a
2: <laughs> score no so i I, for, I i didn't write down the name of the real guy but basically they commissioned oscar peterson score i mean i've listened to it it's pretty standard uh you know oscar petersony jazz although it's cute that all the all the track names are named for the actors and not the characters which i i did i thought it was cute but no the score in the movie is some other thing Internet Movie Database says it's Oscar Peterson who did yeah, the original Yeah, that's because he, he got the, the credit. And he Well, did this entire film. film
0: is falsely, falsely marketed from the tagline that I read earlier <laughs> on right up to the music composer.
1: Everybody's living a lie.
0: This entire film is a lie.
2: Uh. Uh, okay, sorry. I, I, I've, I've got the trivia, so I'll, I'll just read it really quick. The original score was composed by the great jazz pianist Oscar Peterson, and a soundtrack was released, and I, I know that because I've heard it, Um, more in tune with his regular jazz albums. The actual film score was recorded in London uh, under fellow Canadian composer and music editor Ken Wanberg, which is what is heard in the film. Hmm. There you go. It's a good score. It's a good suspense score.
0: I love that the Internet Movie Database adds this in the trivia page. At one point... No, no. no, no. This is what this is what's written on the page. At one point, Christopher Plummer is seen in drag in this film. That's not trivia. That's a yeah, like actual... plot point. Oh
2: <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs>
0: it's part of the plot. It's like it's like really important to the film.
2: <laughs> um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Celine Lomez. Who doesn't show up until uh, until the second half of the movie? Oh, she shows
0: up completely nude. Is what she does.
2: Oh, I mean, she steals the movie for a little while. Um, she's just really something to watch. She's a really interesting person. I don't know. But... I,
0: I kind of feel like she steals the movie. Period. Like even yeah. when her head gets chopped off and she's buried under like a condo, she's like you're still thinking about her.
2: Uh, two things about Celine Lomez that I want to mention. One, she was a pretty successful pop singer in Quebec. Um, you can find her music on YouTube and stuff. It's it's honestly not bad. Maybe we'll play some at the end of this episode. The other thing is she was in contention for Charlie's Angels, but was not selected because, and I quote, she was deemed too sexy for primetime. <laughs> Which wow. is probably the best reason ever someone missed out on an acting job.
1: If, you, if you're going to get rejected, that's a great way to get rejected. Look, here's the thing.
0: <laughs> if ever a lady has good looking as Celine Lomez pops up next to you sporadically in the middle of nowhere at a, on a park bench and starts talking to you about how she knows your dad, something's <laughs> wrong. Something to... is
2: wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're being set up, clearly. <laughs> Although, I don't know. See, this is one thing I, I had mentioned to Simon off uh, off mic is that Elliot Gould is apparently the sexiest man on the planet in this movie. So, I don't know. Maybe he earns
0: it. It's weird because I kind of felt Christopher Plummer is billed as the sexiest man in this movie. Like, the way everyone looks at him and respects him and... And the way fears he hears him, he has his confidence. Fears, and like, yeah, dude, I don't. There's things I do not. I know it's the 70s, but putting aside it's the 70s, there's a few things I don't understand. I don't understand a $48,000 was like a lot of money, even back then, that this guy is going to go through hell for $48,000, of which I, now he has to split with freaking Julie, Susanna York's character.
1: I don't think that worst. he actually, I, I don't think that that was the point. He makes a comment about how it's not enough to live the rest of your life on. Like that it's enough to do something. You can do one big thing, but you can't you can't retire on forty eight yeah. grand. So he it's, does, he it's, doesn't enough, know
2: that. it's enough it's to, enough to jettison your shitty current life and maybe yeah. get a shot at a slightly better one somewhere else. Okay, here's my exactly. second question.
0: So how is it that Christopher Plummer goes to like a bathhouse, has sex it, or actually rapes and beats and nearly kills this teenage prostitute? And all of the other teenagers walk in and are like, dude, you almost killed her. And like, it's like nothing happened. It's like it's like a normal day, and they're used to Christopher Plummer just beating up
2: prostitutes. I mean, I think it's more that they're used to bad things happening to sex workers, because that's just what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar enough with bathhouses to know whether that's a common reaction when somebody gets I'm going beat up. to
2: assume No. <laughs> I think it's generally considered a faux pas in most bathhouses.
1: I, I actually did not understand that that was a bathhouse or what was going on in that entire scene. I thought he just picked up some random girl, and then all of a sudden there were a bunch of his buddies around, and they were like, "Oh man, you almost killed her!" And I, I, for for a while, until the cops later on explained, like, "Yeah, you you know." Well, you, there's you, a whole other a prostitute. <laughs> I didn't really know what went on there.
2: There's a whole other other sort of z plot kicking around this movie where Reichel has this whole like he has these criminal affiliates who operate out of the silver dollar room which was a real bar where I saw real concerts until only a yep. few years ago
0: yeah that's the bar um, I was talking about earlier
2: and uh yeah, it's, I'm surprised honestly I was a little surprised that the silver dollar room ag- agreed to be like depicted as the center of a criminal enterprise
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised the silver dollar room no longer exists
2: I'm not and nothing good here stays. There's a lot
0: of weird things in this movie, like the one armed mailman, the the truck or the van or whatever that he steals. The Oh, that's yeah. <clears throat> the uh usual suspect scene when in which he's called to the police station to identify if one of the five suspects is indeed the man who robbed him at the bank, and yet he says no, and I was like, Okay, was confused. But then it kind of made sense afterwards because he was just trying to get him in jail because he knew they would I guess, arrest him for the beating and rape of the prostitutes.
1: Yeah, and he didn't want to get caught. He knew that that guy would turn him in. I think that was sending a message. He was just sending a message, hey, I I can mess with you just like you can mess with me. So maybe let's call a little bit of a truce here. I'm going to send you to jail for a little while. Again, not completely understanding the Christopher Plummer character, not realizing that he was putting himself in more danger by aggravating this guy oh, I,
2: I, I mean the impression that i have and having seen this movie many times is that he really thought that would be enough like he he really thought he could do this he'd get charged with whatever he was already being charged with yeah um and that would be enough to send him away for a while
1: mm-hmm. and it was enough to send him away for a little while yeah, but for like three I don't, months or something. I don't think you realize the extent to which a character like that, even if it was three years, that guy would be coming for you. <laughs> like, I'm not sure he knew what he was dealing with. Um, even though he should have, based upon the initial break in and, and the initial phone calls, he uh, he got cocky, and I think that's that's part of what you know this genre is all about. It's fun seeing somebody go into that kind of that that mode.
0: Also. What's weird is not a lot of people have seen this movie, but yet of all of the movies that came out of the late 70s, early 80s, Canadian tax, shelter, funding, whatever you want to call it, this movie was actually a critical success and a box office success. It actually made back its money and and then some.
2: Yeah, I think that the uh, graphic extremity of a certain sequence that we've mentioned Sort of prevented it from getting like having a second life on cable or whatever, or like you know, as a as a movie that showed up on TV and that people would talk about.
0: Which which scene are you talking about? The prostitute, or the fish, or her head being chopped off?
2: The beheading scene that caused Daryl Duke to quit the movie. I mean. I think that may have have limited its exposure somewhat. Although now, I mean, clearly it's been thoroughly rediscovered. It was a movie that I meant to see for a long time because I saw it mentioned by Canadian bloggers and critics and filmmakers every once in a while for many years. And now you can see it on the Criterion channel, which is pretty dope. One last scene I wanted to mention just as a, as a way to highlight how great Daryl Duke is, is um, we, we only get one scene with Miles and his father. And I love, I love that everything about that scene. I love that he goes to see his, his father at the old folks' home. There's a Christmas, uh, like, uh, one of those horrible children's choirs that can't sing, uh, mm-hmm. is there doing a perfectly depressing Christmas carol, and his father just has this weary, sad, but unmoving and seemingly unrecognizing face. And it's at a certain point, Miles just realizes like it doesn't make a difference if I stay here or not, and he just like gives him a kiss and leaves. And it so perfectly communicates like for miles. This is like his worst case scenario. Like he'll end up in a, in a nowhere place as a nobody who feels nothing. Um, And he feels that's his fate. And I just, I, I love that scene so much.
0: I want to see the original film. I'm going to see if I can hunt it down. I'm am kind of curious. I want to see how similar these two movies are. This movie was nominated for like a bunch of Canadian Film Awards, including of course best feature film, best director, best editing, best musical score, best sound editing, best overall sound. The sound design is very good. I'm just very disappointed that it's not, not
2: actually uh, Oscar Peterson's music. Um the I mean I I wasn't able to find the 60s original. I can't imagine just based on when it was made, even though it was Scandinavian and not North American, I can't imagine it was anywhere near this violent or, like, gay. Uh, I just I just don't see it.
1: It's possible the head thing happened. I don't know. You know, it's weird to me because you don't actually see her head separate from her body. It's just that you see him cutting her throat on a piece of glass in the fish tank. Yeah, no big deal. And then, and then later on, you see her head in the fish tank. <laughs> but... but it's it's interesting that is it's a moment in the movie where you're just like what the fuck
2: <laughs> well and it they, they there's one little detail that makes it extra gruesome which is that you can see there's a knife on the floor yeah. so clearly that the, they 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 thought about it for two seconds and realized well you couldn't actually get someone's entire head off with just a plate of glass so uh then he got the knife out to finish the job which is like pretty grim <laughs>
1: Well, it also shows the dedication of Christopher Palmer's character, who is. Absolutely
2: and the me- the message cool. is the the moral of this movie is: if you believe it, you can do it.
1: <laughs> uh, with that, I believe that we should take a break, really quick. Uh, when we come back, we will do our five questions. But here's another clip from The Silent Partner. Who is this? Now, that's the beautiful part of it, isn't it? I know who you are, but you're in the dark. Well, not totally in the dark. I've left your light on for you. By the way, do you have much luck with those chest problems? Look, uh, why don't you uh, come over to the window and open the curtains, and then we can have a look at each other. Go on, open them. If you have something to say to me, say it, otherwise I'm hanging up. Oh, no, don't hang up now, pal. I'm running low on dimes and I just have to come up there, that's all, and I don't want to do that, not yet. Now, first, we're gonna try to talk things over reasonably. All right. Now, come over to the window. All right, that was another clip from The Silent Partner. We have reached the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions, our ever-changing five questions. So well, most of them say the same, but we'll see what we get to with the, the fourth question on this one. Uh, we always like to start things off positive, though. So, kicking it off, I'm mixing things up. Rick, what was your favorite scene from The Silent Partner?
0: Well, I already talked about it. I think the best scene and my favorite scene is when he leaves the apartment goes outside, gets in the payphone. Christopher Plummer's Reichel goes up to his apartment. He sort of switches roles. And that is when he threatens Reichel and Miles turns into the badass. And that's when I'm like, this dude's going to outsmart him. And um, yeah, I don't know. Just really loved it. I, I love the, the score, too, and the pacing of this entire film. And that's a, a good example of one of the best directed scenes in the film, I just love the whole setup.
1: It's when you can finally start rooting for Miles because up until that point, like, yeah, he's sort of a a schlub, fine. And he does steal the money, great, like he does this little thing that he gets away with. But that's the moment where you actually start rooting for him, where he seems like he's taking action, taking some initiative. And he's turning the tables, at least in his eyes, on this villainous character. Uh, that's where I really started to like him and be like, okay, let's see where this guy can go. How far can he get in this game?
0: Yeah, because prior to that scene, I wasn't really entirely sure if the guy knew what he was doing, if he was going to get away with it, to the point where, you know, one of his biggest mistakes was that he put the key to the safety deposit box in a, uh, um, a jar of jam. And I was like, that's an odd place. <laughs> To put the key I kind of felt like But that's what I like About the movie too Because I kind of felt like At first he did not know What to do with the money It took a while for him To figure it out And once he figured it out That's when He kicks into Like Mr. Badass And that's when I too Started liking his character Despite the fact that I do still think He's a kind of like
2: Not a good person can I just note about that scene? He doesn't think mm-hmm. I mean, he does kind of threaten uh, Chris Plummer. But the main thing he does is he gets on the phone and he looks up at the window at Chris Plummer and he says, go fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. Is the, like, I, you know, I'm all for florid, wordy screenplays, but sometimes you just got to keep it simple.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Simon, what was your favorite scene?
2: Uh, my favorite scene in this movie is every scene, but um, I want to, but I want to highlight one that I don't think I would get a chance to mention otherwise. The party sequence at, uh, at the boss's house. The main thing I want to mention, the main reason I want to mention that sequence, other than that it's full of hilarious moments, is it evokes what I feel must have been the vibe of that kind of party at that particular time in history. Uh, it's You mean so... the 70s? Yeah, like the late like the late 70s <laughs> middle like like this is the 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 late 70s version of like a really a really indulgent party for the if you were middle class. By the way, like, we
0: should we should say it's an
1: office party.
2: Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it sort is. of an it, yeah, it's sort of an off off campus office party. At,
1: at the boss's house though. At so the boss's house, but it's, uh, it's still to be sophisticated and they're they're trying to throw like a really fancy party.
2: Yeah, but it's also getting—it's get surprisingly rowdy. Um, I, I love the detail of Elliot Gould uh, finding the boss, uh, cucking John Candy, um, but then also having to get back inside because, like, look—if I don't get the grass, they're gonna just ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: Send somebody else in here, so you might as well just put up with me.
2: Yeah, um, and lastly, that scene contains my one, maybe my favorite Elliot Gould performance moment in the movie when he's uh dancing with the boss's wife and she's like she's kind of like taken a shine to him since seeing uh, since seeing him on television or whatever he's sort of like a celebrity and which has made everyone get the hots for him which i think is extremely funny and accurate um and she kind of like and he kind of like tw- gives her a little twirl and then he does his own little twirl <laughs> while he's got this, this goofy grin on his face
1: yeah she's saying something about having underestimated him or or something like that about how he's yeah. changed and that's when he does that little twirl like a, just a nice little signifier that yes indeed. yeah he is-
2: which is like that's the that's the elliot gould touch like that's really what i think he brings to the role is he does have some of that goofiness uh and also like i don't know i just feel like i haven't seen um a protagonist like him in a while who's like kind of goofy kind of masculine but also kind of um kind kind of aloof as well um i just think he brings a lot to the role and it it really comes out in that scene so i'm kind of spotlighting a few things there at once but there it is
0: i think everyone in that scene was smoking pot right they were all high
2: yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that's what he had to go into the bathroom to get more more of (laughs) um Uh, I'm going to go with the scene right after I I like the cover up of the beheading, the, the body, the getting rid of the body Mm, sequence. That's Uh, a fun sequence. Yeah. A lot of tension. Love the delivery guy or whatever that kid was that was walking up the stairs. Love him hanging on the stairs. Uh, Just a well executed, you know, not a whole lot of dialogue in this. Just how do I get rid of this body safely?
2: Oh, Uh, can I just mention my favorite thing associated with that scene, which is after he drops from the second floor balcony, hurts his leg goes out off screen disposes of the body which i'm glad they did Mm -hmm. um also i'm sure much easier for them but then afterwards when chris Plummer, who's just beheaded a young woman uh sees him he says oh you hurt your leg that's too bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) i know well that little exchange in, in that tunnel is great i love their little exchange there uh but i also feel like
0: That was my special mention. The exchange between the two characters—I think when they actually meet face to face, like they—they clearly had an exchange prior via telephone and from a distance. But I think that's the first scene which they come face to face,
1: right? When they talk face to face, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, I
0: I, I like how the kid just assumed that the dead body was actually just a homeless person sleeping inside a rug (laughs) because homeless people can (laughs) afford
1: rugs. uh yeah i like everything about that you know what though think about i i was trying to think of what i would do in that situation would i step around something like that i think i i don't I think, think i would, I would call the yeah. cops. i think i would just be like okay whatever um whatever oh, yeah you, you're on, on the clock don't call on. the fucking cops this is this is a crazy world <laughs> i'm not gonna wake the guy up that's for damn sure that's a good way to get stabbed um
0: Um, this movie was this movie was released in 1978 halloween was already out at the time right yeah okay so like i would have taken the head and just held it up like michael myers style and that kid would have just ran like get out of my way let me do my thing
1: (laughs) yeah it kind of stands out though when somebody holds a severed head up to you (laughs) you, you're probably going to tell your friends about that whereas the 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 homeless guy is sleeping the rug outside on the on the balcony yeah, whatever. It, you know it's it, not really worth mentioning.
2: If we're doing special mentions, mine goes out to a scene very close to after the one um Ricky mentioned when he's setting up Reichel to go to jail and uh, after he brazenly steals a food delivery truck, plants it in front of his house, um he calls up the cops and says, yeah, get go get him. He's got the rod on him. <laughs> and afterwards he can't believe what a what a dork he just was. <laughs> I love that
1: the rod I was like why is he talking like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) that has to be an inside joke I didn't get it I thought it was funny but I just didn't get it
2: that must have been like 70s cop tv show slang or something
1: or, or maybe the cop shows that they grew up with as a kid. Because keep in mind, at that point, he's probably grown up watching 40s and 50s cop movies. Yeah, that's true. And, and gangster movies where, with Edward G. Robinson and stuff like that. And everybody talking like yeah. that. So I, I
2: mean, have you heard The Rod before, Patrick?
1: I knew that a rod was slang for a gun. Oh, uh, in, see, I'd in, never in heard that before. Movies. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. No, I, knew, I did know that. So um, I, I'm watching a lot of old gangster movies they will call it, like that's how they would refer to it as the rod the oh, gap, the rod so it, it's definitely i'm i just assumed it was that and then he's just being super dorky and you know again one of those weird moments of comedy that comes out of nowhere <laughs> um all right so switching tones as this movie does so often if there was something you could change about the silent partner what would it be rick
0: Oh, change! We're, oh, wow. Okay, I wasn't ready for this. I yeah. thought it was MVP next.
1: Um, no, no, this is second question, baby. This is we did the positives already. Now it's, what would you change?
0: Well, I'm not entirely sure if I would change anything. Um, I mean, there there isn't a single scene in the film which I would remove. I mean, I. I, I could nitpick about maybe the character Julie,
1: but... Okay, <laughs> now you're on the right track right, we're here. getting there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I, I'm going to let you guys take over because I know what the problem with Julie is, but I think that is why I like her character because the whole storyline between her, like the romantic angle between her and Miles is so weird and silly Wrong. And confusing. It feels wrong. Well, it, I, I, I'm not going to say wrong because I think at the end, Julie pretty makes it clear that she's going to run away with him and the money and... I don't know, she... Why is it... Why do you think it's wrong? Because he's like... Oh,
2: no, it's just... Well, here's... Okay, I'll get into what I would change. Or not necessarily what I would change, but just something I could see them having done and I might feel better about it. Um, a slight tweak on the ending. Uh, because we just don't like Julie that much, I think is sort of the problem. Uh, oh. So it's, it's difficult to feel invested when they run off into the sunset. However, what I think would have been really funny and quite apropos would have been her just taking off with the money while after he's been shot, because <laughs> she really could get away scot-free at that point. And uh, to we'd be honest, we'd have a dirty
1: rotten scoundrel scenario and,
2: in and, this case. Like... And Miles has been kind of awful to her. I know, so but that, like...
0: that that that's why I like the movie so much because I do think they're bad characters. Like, I don't think they're good people. Like, I think everyone I'm not saying they're bad people like they're going to be as bad and like like Christopher Plummer's character, but they're not really good people and I kind of like the fact that even the people who get away at the end aren't really morally right in that situation.
1: No. Well no, they're still getting away with stolen money and but um I don't know, I think the problem with her is that They never really build her up to be this person that's desperately searching for excitement. They don't really know what to do with her character, so they sort of just throw her in a couple of scenes, and he likes her, but she's sleeping with the boss for some reason, and I don't know what's really going on. He's lame, so she's sort of the impetus for him starting to change his his life and attitude.
2: She strikes me as she's waiting for an alpha. She's she's waiting for a real man to come show her what love is. And then at the end, she realizes that she realizes that miles is that man
1: the problem with her character she is dull there, there's nothing that would draw any alpha to her for one thing i mean she's <laughs> just there's there's well, she's nothing British. Going that's on kind of there. exotic <laughs> i guess yeah she's got an accent all right well the other girl has a, has great t-shirts so uh, you know if you work at that bank uh, i the there's a clear choice there um <laughs> I don't know. There, there's just nothing about her character. She needed to be, I don't want to say recast because I actually don't think the character is written particularly well either. Something had to happen where she's not just this, she's got to be a better source for him wanting to change his life. The movie's clearly trying to make her a big part of the reason why he does what he does. But you start to forget about it after a while. Because you know it what's funny really
2: is that like, When she shows up at the end, it it almost feels incidental, like he's kind of already won at that point and whether or not she comes along like really doesn't doesn't make that much of a difference. Like I never got the sense of like, oh, he's doing it for true love or whatever
1: no it, it doesn't was the feel money. that way at all it's not that she's coming it's that she's bringing the case that's the way i always like the case yeah. is more important to him at this point than, than she is And he's like oh thank god yeah. she's got my briefcase can
2: she's i also money. just quickly mention the one thing about the ending i would never change which is elliot gold saying i always wondered what it felt like to be shot it hurts
1: <laughs> yeah that was a great great line <laughs> <laughs> again some of that very smart comedy
0: can this be a prequel to oceans 11
2: uh, like d- like remember. Danny Ocean and Julia Roberts. Well, like no, I'm trying million. to remember his character. He was in Ocean's Eleven, right? Elliot Gould, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a jeweler, I think. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, so oh, he runs he is- off
0: with uh, Julie. They get they get married. They get divorced three years later. He opens up a jewelry <laughs> shop.
1: He needs some more excitement, so he decides to get involved with heists. But this changes his name, moves to the states, gets
0: away from Toronto. Yeah.
1: I, I like this. I like this mythology. This could very well be.
0: Anyhow, I get what you're saying, but I still wouldn't change it. I I, I do like the ending.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I'd change the... Uh, if you change her character, the ending just works better. That's all. All the components are fine for the end. They just have to do tweak her character slightly to make her actually matter. Because when she goes away from the story... like You honestly never miss Julie.
2: I mean, the... Up. The the only thing that I would I, mean, I the only thing I would actually change is that there's a few characters and a few things a few elements that I would have just liked a little bit more of, uh, but that's not a bad problem to have.
1: No, no, and they kept this movie pretty tight too, which was a they a good did, thing.
2: which we always appreciate.
1: Yes, um, except for when it comes to Dark City. All right, as far as MVPs, Rick, who is yours?
0: The maid. Holy shit! Where do you get a housekeeper like that? <laughs> First of all, the dude works at a bank. He's desperate for money, so he robs the bank because he needs money. But yet he can afford to hire a maid who shows up at his apartment after it's ramshackled and destroyed by Christopher Plummer's character. And yet she cleans it up. No problem. Puts everything back in place. Just like, what the hell? It's like Super all with maid. a
2: delightful accent, by
1: the way. Mm-hmm. Totally awesome. He, he should have called her for the body. Uh, if she could have been a big help. <laughs>
2: You know, this is a this is a hard this is a
0: this is a hard choice because I really do like Christopher Plummer's character in this film. And I think people talk about the movie mostly because of the scenes that revolve around Plummer's character. But I think Elliot Gould is just so good in this movie, even though he sounds like an android at times. He's funny. He's smart. He's I don't know. He feels like an actual character. Like, I always have this, this this problem with actors who show up, and you kind of can't escape the actor because he's sort of playing himself type thing. Like, kind of like a, I don't know, you see it a lot with Tom Hanks and Seth Rogen. Where yeah, they have a single, persona,
2: and they yeah, riff on the persona.
0: And it's pretty much the same. And this is a complete change of character for what Elliot Gould used to do prior to The Silent Partner he's sort of playing against his usual type. And so I think he sort of steals the show.
1: I I can't disagree with you at all on that. I think, I mean, for me, he's the clear choice. You're watching him all the time. Everybody else does a great job, and especially Plummer does a great job in supporting. I mean, I don't think there's any question that he delivers the best supporting performance here. Um,
0: His performance is so good that he actually makes me care about the fish when the fish is murdered.
1: Yeah. Yes. I'm not even
0: joking. Like, you can actually see how much he cares about the fish. It's painful. He cares about the fish more than he cares about Julie.
1: Oh, there's no question about that. Julie represents something he wants, not something that he's in love with. He just doesn't know how to get what he wants. And then once he's sort of had Elaine, Julie becomes less important.
0: Oh, I have a question. Before I forget, I didn't pick up on this until I watched it for the second time. But he knew it was... The Santa Claus character who was going to rob the bank because of the, the his uh, of his the way
2: signage. Yeah.
0: Well, specifically the G. Right. The way yeah. he's OK. Yeah. I didn't notice that the first time.
1: Now, wait a second. This is something you guys are going to have to explain to me. I'm glad you brought this up, because why was the initial note there? He didn't rob the bank that day.
2: No, why? I, he was he was rehearsing. He was like getting ready for the right time, which is why you also see him try another another time. But he gets disrupted by a uh, a very annoying child.
1: I do remember that that he got disrupted this time. He got disrupted. So, but we don't actually see him write that uh, that first note. No, right? and so he's, we don't. He's know been and what... gone for some reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that kind of confused me. Like,
0: doesn't he find the note in like a trash can or something, or when he's cleaning up?
2: I it's can't just remember. like a yeah. It's like a carbon copy that's just yeah. been. That's just been left
1: on the counter. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're in the spot where they have you fill out your. Uh, s- some
2: familiarity with pre-millennial banking technology will help you understand this movie.
0: <laughs> Yo, it's funny you say that because the entire time I'm like, what kind of bank is this? Like, you can basically walk in and do anything. There's no cameras. Like, I just didn't make any sense. And like, it's a bank with no security whatsoever.
1: We're- they had cameras, it's just that they were triggered by certain events, so they they weren't using, they weren't on the whole day, they weren't recording exactly. the whole day anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um.
2: Also, it takes five people to withdraw $20. <laughs> right.
1: I actually love that there were crowds of people lining up for the bank to open, uh, and they're all like, like happy customers, like happy shoppers it reminded me a little bit of the killer pants movie with just everybody trying to get into this bank like oh my god yeah, the yeah. bank's about to open it was it's it's a funny bank sort of setting also though you were talking about um, him needing the money i don't think that's why he stole the money because isn't he the biggest hotshot teller that this bank's got i mean he's like a yeah he's star a rock on the star rise, teller man. yeah <laughs> and he even mentions that a couple of times like he knows he's good and uh but and he's like, still just a bank people.
2: teller i mean how much can he be
1: making yeah, but he's the shit bank teller. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, he's—I don't know if he, I don't know what a maid would have cost back then, um, like to, to have one. But maybe if you were a respectable bank teller in the most important industry in the world, then uh, <laughs> you know maybe you can afford a, a maid. I have no idea, but yeah, I think he's definitely the MVP. I I, I got to give it to Gould, too. I can't think of anybody else that I would give it to. What about you, Simon?
2: Well. Now, I have to give it to Chris Plummer, and not just because he just died, Rest in Peace, King, uh, but also just because there are other movies where I can get similar levels of Elliot Gould swag, such as obviously The Long Goodbye, um, although he's playing a very different character there than here, despite the aesthetic similarity. Um, but Chris Plummer playing one of my favorite on screen psychos, just a guy, and it's it's, ex- it's so much more impressive also when you think about other roles of his or just him in interviews. Um, if you, you know th- think back to fucking the sound of music. That's the same fucking guy. Like I, I, I know that's just acting and I shouldn't be wowed by these basic discrepancies between you know energies. but man, he's just so convincing as a guy with just no moral compass and nothing but sh- just pure drive and like I said, kind of animal cunning. Um, God, he's he's just so good. Without him, the movie's not half as good.
1: I He definitely sells the menace. There's no question. There wouldn't be nearly the level of the threat level without him. It's a really, really good performance. He's not on screen that much, though. That's kind of the the one thing about that that role. But he makes a huge impact for not being on screen. Yeah, all that it's
2: often. it's it's very important that he leaves the movie for about you know twenty minutes and then comes back mm-hmm. because you already know he's bad fucking news. And right. when you, when he's gone, it's a relief, but you're also living in dread, you're kind of dreading when he comes back on the scene for obvious reasons. And they pay off that dread beautifully. And that's all because he's so good.
1: Yeah, definitely. So as far as like the future of the silent partner, uh, you know, do, do you see this movie having an audience going forward? Do you see, do you think modern audiences can appreciate the simple kind of thriller that this is? Um, does this have like a place in, in Canadian cinema where it's safe, where it's going to be like, uh, you know, people are going to remember it.
2: You know, not only is this movie safe, I'm really interested to hear like the new generation of, uh, of critics, you know, trans critics and stuff like that. I would love to get more of them seeing this movie and getting their take on it. Because like the kind of the kind of kids now who like watch Brian De Palma movies and write five thousand word essays about them need to see this fucking movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree, but I think they'll just be very negative. See it as being homophobic. I think because that's how a lot of people see dress to Kill*, for example. I, I I like how every character in this
1: movie does something wrong.
2: I think yeah. almost all of them, yeah.
1: Except for this. Sub- The security guard never did. The security guard was, that's an upstanding gentleman right there.
0: Oh, the security guard made me laugh. when he's like, of course, of course he robbed the money from the bank. Whose money do you think he's going to (laughs) rob?
2: That's a very good (laughs) line delivery. I have to say. Shout out to that guy for just for that line.
1: (laughs) Uh, um, All right. So Howard Hawks test time, guys. I know this, we always, we always love this one. Three great scenes and no bad ones. Hell yes, hell yes. Rick, can you think of one bad one?
0: No, I, I think this movie has three great scenes
1: at least. I'll remember at- it for how solid, absolutely solid it is. Uh, okay, so our three great scenes. Let's at least let's at least name them so the people. I know what we named, named our favorite scenes, and a lot of times those coincide with what we think are great. I think the. Uh, obviously the the initial scene on the phone the, with the phone call i think that is a great scene where where he sw- swaps places with them um i think that is a great scene for sure the party scene simon i'm totally with you on that one i think that is a great scene establishes a lot what's our third great scene
2: the, i mean it, the easiest thing to name is the climax it's okay. a very it's a it's a very good clever twisty uh and appropriately grim uh, climax,
0: dude. When he when you see him come down in the escalator, it's like it's not filmed in slow motion, but you think you're watching a slow motion because you're just floored and surprised because it's Christopher Plummer and drag, and it completely changes the complexity of his character and his relationship or the relationship he would want to have with Miles. That scene is incredible.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and Miles' reaction to it is uh, is pretty good too. Um, yes,
0: I'm sorry. Like, I know it's a gruesome scene, but I think the beheading scene is pretty memorable and it's a it's a it's a good scene. I mean, I know it's the 70s, so clearly the action isn't like it is in today's movies and there isn't as so much graphic blood and special effects. But I thought it was really well filmed still considering that they had to behead this lady.
2: Well, and he... it's it, it's worth talking about that scene a little bit more, actually, because as I've sort of alluded to. Uh, Daryl Duke did not want that scene filmed uh, that it was something this, the, that got insisted on later he refused to shoot it so Curtis Hansen shot it I mean clearly even within the production they weren't agreed on whether that scene should be in there
1: and I'm assuming this is in the original screenplay that it, that she gets beheaded like this so and the Duke must have known that eventually they were going to come to a head on this you know
0: also the scene in which they are driving and the rooftop sort of like flies open like little touches like that like i don't know i don't know if it was written in the screenplay or it just happened and they continue to film but yeah there's so many great so many great scenes in this film we also forgot to mention after one hour of talking about this movie that this is a christmas movie
2: yes the first (laughs) half is anyway Uh, after that it's more of an easter movie
1: yeah yeah exactly there's a little bit of that in there as well. Um, um
2: I want to give a uh, in terms of stuff we haven't mentioned, quick quick shout out to Ken Pogue, who plays the uh the cop, the detective on the case. Uh very distinctive Canadian character actor. Always like to see him show up. Rest in peace, my buddy.
1: Oh yeah, the detectives. They're kind of just sort of in the background. You think this is gonna become a movie where the where the police are heavily involved, but they're they're so really.
2: not. They're so not.
1: <laughs> nope. You can't this rely isn't on really cops. A, it, It's not a heist movie. It's not a cop detective movie. It is just a square off between an ordinary guy and a, you know, a sociopath, as to who can come out ahead. That's it. It's just a bad. It's just a battle of wits.
0: And when uh, we say sociopath, we're talking about Miles, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris Plummer is totally the cool guy. He's just a cool regular dude.
1: Everybody wants to hang
2: out.
0: He's with He's just guy. misunderstood, Simon.
1: Yeah, that's,
2: that's true. It's the fish.
0: The fish is what set him off.
1: Oh, <laughs> he was jealous of the fish um all right we should probably wrap things up simon where can we find you online
2: uh you can find me at sucker howell on letterboxd and i just want to say lastly uh, at some point i'm going to bring daryl duke back on uh thematically speaking because i really want to talk about a previous movie of his called payday
1: hmm. okay um, You cannot really find me online Outside of Goomastomp.com Which I am now writing again for I've written a couple of movie reviews um, Including one for Nobody Which I actually kind of liked Um, The movie with Bob Odenkirk Beating people up Sounds good to me Yeah, it's actually it's actually not bad Um, Rick, what about you? Where can we find you and the podcast online?
0: Wait, when are we talking about Rip Torn? <laughs>
1: Rip Torn? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. he, he's the star of Payday
0: is that your next pick or are you just saying a future pick?
2: A future pick. Not next, but at some point in the future.
0: Okay. Um, the podcast. You can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com. You'll find all the links where you can listen to the podcast. You'll find the archive starting with episode number 500. Everything prior to episode number 500, I'm slowly uploading to like YouTube because the show is also available on YouTube. And when I say slowly, I do mean slowly. <laughs> I, uh... So it's a lot of work and i release movies when there's like an anniversary i'm oh, sorry i release episodes when a movie is celebrated an anniversary and we reviewed it in the past so yeah uh sort of and twitter handle sort of it's everywhere the podcast is all over the internet
1: very good and uh all right that's about do it for today's show rick your choices for next week what are we going to be watching no clue but i'll let you know all right <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back then You know that. I mean it. You know, you're kind of remarkable. You know that. I, I don't know how you managed to pull it off. Well, I guess you're going to have to tell me one of these days. But we uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I, I mean we we ran the same risks, didn't we? We're uh, we're partners. I'm going to call the police. And what are you going to tell them? Do you see this?